dad of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? In anger, his master handed him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all that he owed. This is how my heavenly father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother or sister from your heart. This is the word of the Lord for us, the people of God. Thank you, Priscilla, and thank you, Natalie and Tatiana, for sharing your gifts of music. We continue on on a summer sermon series on the parables today, looking at the parable of the unmerciful servant. Let us pray. Wise and loving God, may the words of my mind and the meditations of all our hearts be acceptable to you today and always. Amen. Over the course of this past week, many of us have been following the news and our hearts have been breaking alongside the heartbroken folks in Dayton, Ohio and El Paso, Texas. And one of the stories that I ran across over the course of the week was the story of Greg Zanis. And both CBS and NBC did a segment on him. This man is a carpenter who back in 1996, his father-in-law got murdered. And so he made it his mission to deliver handmade wooden crosses to wherever there has been a shooting uh, since 1996, a mass shooting. And so he started with Columbine, and he's been to Parkland, as well as to Sandy Hook uh, and Orlando, and was at both places in recent days. And folks were asking Zanis as he showed up with his wooden crosses, he's done over 26,000 of them, by the way, you know, why the cross in the midst of all this pain? And he said the cross, of course, communicates that God is present. The cross also communicates that God empathizes with our own suffering. Uh, the cross communicates that there is eternal life. But the cross also communicates something, said Zanus, that is, has been so important to me on my journey since experiencing that loss in 1996. The cross communicates forgiveness. For it was on the cross that Jesus cried out, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And Zanus says, I'm not completely there yet in having forgiven the perpetrator that took my father-in-law's life. But I have been on this journey of untying the knot in my heart. It is our first response, is it not? to when we are hurt or when we see someone else who has been hurt or wounded. We want to get revenge or get angry at that other person. And we find it very, very hard. We struggle to forgive him or her. And this has been going on as part of human nature since the beginning of time. As Kathy read for us a few moments ago in Genesis chapter 4, we're told of a man named Lamech, 
uh, who was wounded by another person, and Lamech decided that he was going to go out and get revenge over that person 77 times over. We refer to it as the law of Lamech. If someone has hurt me, then I must initiate some kind of equal amount of pain toward that person. And it is simply human nature to feel that way in response to a shooting or to feel that way in response to getting hurt by another brother or another sister. Peter, in the New Testament, experienced that same conflict in his heart. He asked Jesus, Jesus, how many times do I have to forgive? Peter's brother had wronged him, and you could tell that Peter didn't really want to forgive his brother. And Jesus responded back to him, no, Peter, you don't have to forgive just seven times. Peter thought that by saying seven to Jesus, he would have surely been commended by Jesus. Jesus instead said, you are to go about forgiving your brother 77 times. So what Jesus is doing here in the scripture passage that Priscilla just read for us is he is undoing or reversing the law of Lamech in scripture. In a very linear way, Jesus was saying the law of Lamech in the Old Testament taught that if a person uh, comes after you, you are to retaliate in a way that is fully to measure uh, their action. But in the New Testament, Jesus shares with Peter, that law is no more. I want to introduce another practice that will be a blessing to you, forgiveness. And in the same measure, God has forgiven you. So should you go out and forgive your brothers and sisters. Jesus illustrated this principle by sharing with Peter the parable of the unmerciful servant. It's a parable that many of us have heard over time, and it's quite simple to understand, frankly. There was, once upon a time, according to Jesus, a master who uh, had a loan out to one of his servants. The servant uh, had trouble paying off that loan, and he came back to his master, and in a very humble way said, Master, have pity on me. And the master in the parable decides to forgive the servant's loan, lets him walk away uh, free so that the servant doesn't have to worry about this debt that's hanging over his head. Well, as fate would have it, this servant also had a friend who was another servant who owed him money. Well, we're told that when the other servant said to the servant who had been forgiven, will you please forgive my debt, have mercy, have pity on me, the servant who had just been forgiven by his master decided that he was not going to forgive his buddy. That's when things got ugly. According to the scripture, the servant who wanted his money back began to start choking this man who did not up pay up. And we're told that this man is then thrown into prison and the master finds out about it. The master comes back and says to the servant who choked the guy who owed him money, Look, don't you know that I just forgave you and showed mercy and pity on you? And then you went off and did this to that other guy? You should have experience here in knowing that you should have offered forgiveness. And so the man's fate is torture and imprisonment and having to pay all of the debt. You might say that the principle of the parable is the teaching that we ought to forgive others just as God the master has forgiven us. 
The parable illustrates perhaps the line in the Lord's Prayer that we pray every Sunday. Lord, forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. Christian author Barbara Brown Taylor explains it a subtle, different way, but a good way, I think. She says that the parable of the unmerciful servant epitomizes or perhaps gives us a picture of the semicolon in the Lord's Prayer, the most important semicolon to our faith. Lord, forgive us our sins, semicolon, as we forgive those who sin against us. And the parable of the unmerciful servant says, here is the semicolon. To the extent you have been forgiven by God, you ought to go out and forgive brothers and sisters who wronged you. And so as we read ourselves into this parable, we ask a hard question that Peter had to ask and that we always have to ask, given the sin and brokenness that we encounter in our everyday lives. Where recently has a brother or a sister or someone hurt us? Where have we been hurt? Where have we been wounded? When has someone said something to us or done something to us that we do not like? And we cry out before God, God, how many times do I have to forgive this person? We do stand in Peter's shoes today. And we have to make a choice. Are we going to seek revenge or are we going to seek forgiveness? I would share with you that the only way to live in right relationship with God and to experience freedom moving forward in the face of hurt and pain inflicted upon you by another person is to choose forgiveness. So a three-part case for forgiveness this morning. First and foremost, forgiveness blesses us. As I have shared with you from the pulpit before, we forgive first for selfish reasons. Let me repeat that. We forgive first for selfish reasons. For Zanus is right. In the New Testament, the word forgiveness in the Greek is an ancient word picture That literally means to untie one's heart. Because when we live in unforgiveness with a brother or a sister, part of what happens is a knot forms in our heart. If we never forgive, we become angry and knotted. If we never forgive, we can't experience peace. If we never forgive, we can never trust anyone again. And when we live with that unforgiveness, a knot does form in our hearts. Christian author Anne Lamott put it another way. She said, not forgiving is like drinking rat poison and waiting for the rat to die. Now, to be fair, that is rather harsh, but it's actually less harsh than the parable of the unmerciful servant. Remember the fate of the servant who decides not to forgive? The fate is torture. When we do not forgive another brother or sister, we live with this torture in our hearts and we can't move forth experiencing freedom. Teacher Fred Luskin puts it another way in a famous book on forgiveness. It's entitled Forgive for Good. It's a wonderful book that Christian counselors and therapists often use. And Luskin says that when a person has been hurt by another person, part of what they almost immediately do is they create what he refers to as a grievance story. 
they start to tell the story of how they were hurt, and they remind themselves of that story over and over again. Sometimes when they wake up in the middle of the night even, they will often share with others that story of how they've been hurt and how they've been hurt. And they begin to live into that grievance story to the point that that grievance story starts to define their lives and their hope. And so the only way to move out of that story, out of that torture, is to be mapped on to a new story of hope and renewal. It's to move down the journey of forgiveness until the knot in our hearts is untied. We forgive first because it blesses us. And then second, we ought to consider forgiveness versus revenge because when we forgive, it blesses the brother and sister who has inflicted pain upon us. One of the most astute definitions of forgiveness I've ever heard came from a wonderful Christian writer by the name of Henry Nouwen. He said, forgiveness is when we give another person the opportunity not to have to be God. And he's right. We all know over the course of our lives how hard it can be when we blow it and we don't receive forgiveness from someone else. So reminded of this in my personal life uh, this past week as uh, Pastor Kathy and Lewayne Arnold have been working on our uh, All Saints service that'll be the first Sunday in November. And I remember a story from a, a former church about anger and forgiveness in regards to the All Saints Sunday worship service. I was some 10 plus years ago now and was out in San Antonio, Texas, and we had this tradition as a church of reading the names of anyone in the congregation uh, who had passed away over the course of the year and honoring those people as saints. Well, uh, one man had uh, passed away over the course of the year. There was a lot of different names uh, on the list, and I was in charge of reading the names. And uh, his wife had driven in from way out of town in Texas, somewhere in Dallas or someplace, uh, along with family to be part of this All Saints service. And I was watching them as I was reading the names, and my mind just so happened to slip. And instead of pronouncing his name, I pronounced her name. Yes, I shared with the congregation that she was dead. And she had driven four hours away to be part of this. So after the service, she comes up to me and she just goes up and down me and whatnot. And then, uh, you know, later that day, she calls the voicemail of the church line and talks about how hurt she was and her family was hurt. And I was just feeling terrible. I had apologized many times, but she was just uh, beside herself. Well, first thing Monday morning, uh, the church secretary is looking out the window and she is pulling up in her car and I just want to hide underneath my desk. Well, she comes in, she finds me, and I'm ready to hear whatever she has to tell me. She reaches into her purse, and she grabs for me an aluminum uh, tray, pulls open the foil, and there's homemade chocolate chip cookies. And she said, Pastor, I forgive you. And what a joy and what freedom there was in that moment to know that I did not have to be God. We all know what it's like to blow it. And when we give another person that opportunity not to be God, what a blessing it is to them. Forgiveness blesses us. Forgiveness blesses him or her who hurt us. And then third and finally, forgiveness is a great blessing to God. 
For if we are to rightfully liken the master in this parable to God in heaven, who is constantly in an overwhelmingly merciful way offering us forgiveness for the debt that we cannot pay on our own, then every time we offer forgiveness to someone else, God rejoices and is blessed in heaven. For part of what I know about God in Scripture is that God is indeed in the forgiveness business, both Old Testament and New. Moses was a murderer. God forgave him. David had those problems in his marriage. God forgave him. Jonah, Gideon. We turn to the New Testament, and Jesus practically begins his ministry with the Sermon on the Mount, and he preaches on, yes, forgiveness. We read on, and we note that Jesus told a number of different parables about forgiveness, including the parable of the prodigal son. We walk with Jesus in the Passion, and we note that in the Passover meal, Jesus holds up the cup, and he says, pour it out into it is the forgiveness of your sin. And then even while yet on the cross, Jesus cries out, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Every time we forgive someone who has wronged us, God is blessed in heaven, for we are most like the God who forgives us. Or let me put it another way. At that same church in Texas one evening, there was a therapist who came to speak, a Christian therapist, to our group of Stephen Ministers, which is a ministry for uh, those in need. And she was speaking on the topic of uh, broken relationships. And uh, she came in and she ended her presentation this way. She said, you know what? There is no worship service. There is no Bible study. There is no prayer group. There is no small group. There is no musical performance that will quite grow and mature your faith in Christ like someone who has hurt you. Because in having to forgive that person who has hurt you, you are having to stretch yourself to be more like God than you've ever had to be before. Father, forgive us as we forgive those who sin against us. I'll close with a story of a young woman who back in the early 1940s was living in Belgium and the Nazis had just bombed a lot of her city and town as well as her beautiful Catholic church there in Belgium. And when she got into her Catholic church after many friends and family had been hurt or had passed away from these uh, horrible actions, she came to the altar and she wanted to move toward forgiveness. So she began the Lord's Prayer, Father, uh, forgive us, but she couldn't say that next phrase. And then she would come into her church that was in shambles. The stained glass windows were broken and all on the floor. The altar was just about split in two. Uh, the roof was caving in. And, and she went month after month trying to move toward forgiveness and praying that prayer. Father, forgive us, but she couldn't get past that semicolon. Well, one day she was praying that prayer in a humble way in the altar. Father, forgive us. And she heard this great big booming voice behind her as we forgive those who sin against us. And she looked over her shoulder and there was the priest of the church. And she said, such is the voice of God. When we just can't get to the other side of that semicolon, 
God who is in the forgiveness business encourages us to go on with those words and to untie our hearts. Father, forgive us as we forgive those who sin against us.